This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Pendant Publishing. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 99. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian and actor whose career has spanned six decades. He played Elaine's co-worker, Michael, at Pendant Publishing in three Seinfeld episodes in season five, The Opposite, The Fire, and The Masseuse, Hiram Kasten. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Leave a comment. Rate, review, on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 99, Hiram Kasten. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. It's episode 99. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian actor whose career has spanned six decades. You've seen him in Larry David's film, Sour Grapes, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Everyone Loves Raymond, Mad About You, My Wife and Kids, Men of a Certain Age. And of course, he played Elaine's co-worker, Michael, in several Seinfeld episodes in season five, including The Opposite and The Fire. Please welcome Hiram Kasten. Hiram, thanks yes. for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I, I like how you began with the worst bomb of Larry's career. You opened with sour <laughs> grapes. Of all, of all these things that I have, he says sour grapes. <laughs> I went to the screening of that, and I had to think of something to say when I shake his hand walking out, you know, because it was horrifying, you know, the film. And I just said, you know, this would be funny in France. And he liked that. He bought that. Well, we were gonna we were gonna uh, introduce you as a f famous star of Say But a Bell, but we, yeah, we went with the Larry. Yes, I still get residuals, so they're still good. Say But a Bell. So I'm dropping like flies. These people. Yeah, I'm crazy. Died. Oh, terrible! They're all dying. So take yeah. us. We, we've been talking for like a half hour already. But hire, take us back. All right. You, uh, we yes. talked about you were on three episodes of Seinfeld. Yes, season five. Season five, which our opinion, you know, season three and five are probably the two best of the run. Oh, good. In our opinion. So, so things like the masseuse, the fire, and the opposite. I think yes. what's, what's unique about those three are one was written by Peter Melman, the fire by yes. Larry Charles, and then the opposite, for the most part, Larry David with Andy Cohen, kind of Cowan's idea. But, um, Kind of take us episode. Take us episode by episode. First, well, actually, first off, how did you get the part? I mean, oh I'm my. happy to say I did not have to audition. They knew me from the the world of comedy, where they all started to. So you know, we're talking about. Did I lose you? Can you hear me? Because I yeah, we got you. Okay, uh, it's uh, Larry Day who was a comic, and you've heard about how he was as a comic, if you've researched him. And I was an MC at Catch a Rising Star. And if I wanted the people to go home early, I put him on, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of, but this is why I didn't tell them I'm on this, because I tell the truth. You're going to get the whole story from me. No, he just, he would walk out and there'd be two beautiful girls in the front talking, uh, kind of healthy looking, you know. And uh, 
he'd say, uh, I can't stand it talking. You talk a long morning. I, I can't win. I can't. I lie. I still want to go to bed with you, but I don't want to talk to you. And he walked off stage. And I was it. He would just walk off. So uh, this just proves why television 60, 70 years was just hacky. And this was fantastic show. There was two guys who were actually very funny who didn't have to eventually answer to anyone. And the trick was, you know, they only, if they both agreed on something, it was in. So I used to see Larry at Yankee Stadium. So he called me up. He knew I'd be a good straight man. So I looked like a straight man. So he says, all right. And uh, But Jerry, who used to come to my house in the Bronx, did not give me the job. So you see, you never know who's going to give you a job in Hollywood. Larry got the job. <laughs> No, so it was Larry who actually got you, got you on, not Jerry. I must say, yeah, Jerry is the, Jerry's great. He's a great guy. He takes me to lunch all the time. But he's not Frank Sinatra. You know what I mean? Frank Sinatra is, you know, how you doing? Do you need anything? <laughs> I'm not getting that treatment. I'm not on the you need anything plan. That's what I'd like. <laughs> but then, of course, neither is Larry. <laughs> so Jerry, uh, but Jerry called you the other day, huh? Yes, he did. It uh, it takes a little longer between my call and the call back, but eventually he he always does. We're still on that. He cu he cubby holds. If I'm cubby hold. I'm the guy he wants to go to lunch with when I'm in New York. Um, he calls back and we talk about Woody Allen's new book. We talk about different things. I opened for him somewhat on the road, but he had like Mark Schiff, our friend Mark Schiff, opened for him a lot. But uh, Mark Schiff was never on the show. Mark Schiff was doesn't go to lunch, and so you everybody get. Then somebody else goes to his daughter's bas mitzvah, but doesn't get taken to lunch. It's all cubby holes, you know. So, so Hiram, so how'd that work? Obviously, you knew Larry and Jerry from I would say the late seventies. Yeah, season five, Seinfeld, it's already up and running. Like, did you want? Did you want to get in earlier? Did you like make that call, or they came to you? And, oh, I like, tell you exactly. How uh, there was a, a comedian, Susie Sorrow, very funny gal. She says to me one day, so what are you doing? I said, nothing, of course. I'm in L.A. walking around my kitchen, straightening the labels <laughs> on the jars. You know, if you're an actor, you've got a lot of downtime. She says, why don't you call Larry? I said, I got nothing to say to him. She said, find something. And she hangs up. And I called him. And he's a big Yankee fan, and I'm a big Yankee. And we start talking about that. And he says, all right, all right, see you later. Bye. The next day, the phone rings. It's his staff. Uh, they want you on the show next week. Can you come in today? They started They started rehearsal on Saturday. They could do whatever they want with the schedule. They just It wasn't a Monday table read. It was a Saturday table read. So, uh, and that's how it worked. And then uh, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do a line. So it was good. And the next time, he used me again. And then at the end of the season, which is uh, what's the one when they dropped the hanky with the snot in it? That uh, the opposite, yeah, the opposite. yeah, the opposite. I think that's one of my personal favorites. That one was tremendous. Mm -hmm. And then um, because of that, it's just uh, there was no more pendant publishing, so no no more hiring. You know, <laughs> she went to work for Mister Pitt. So had the whole thing happened three years sooner. Boy, that would have been great. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you one. He uh, gave me a, a script. Um, one of them, and just a monologue I had that was just cut out for time. When they have time problems, 
It's not the stars that get cut. It's the people you don't know. And it was when she goes that when uh, her boyfriend gets hit by a car, she goes to a movie theater and the yes. usher stops her, right? And French steward stops her and says, you know, okay. So um, turns out she's talking then to Jerry later and it's about uh, candies. And that it was definitely Larry David written where it was like, uh, I said to her, well, I can understand if it was a Reese's, you know, you got to go back for a Reese's, you got to go back for, and then we start naming the candies. No, I wouldn't go back for a Juju beat. That's ridiculous. The guy got hit by a car. If it's a Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cup, you go back. So it, it was pure Larry David. And funny thing is, when this series came out on DVD, first thing I did was play those extra to hear what Larry's saying about it. And he goes, you know, I'm watching this the other day, and I'm thinking something's missing. I should have written something about other candies. And I call him up. I said, you did. And you cut it out. (laughs) 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 They're all the same. same. They don't know what to do with them. Jerry knows how to live. I will say that. Jerry knows how to live. I'm not sure about Larry. That's That's kind of expensive divorce, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of. <laughs> See, I got a wife for thirty-five years. She helps me get on the podcast. She bothers me. That's okay. <laughs> thirty-five years. Are you married? Yes. No, he's not here to talk about himself. I, I just want to know about. I, I just have to ask Chris. Just you got to tell me how you did a doctorate on this show, and oh, what uh, what uh, what academy uh, what academy of higher learning allows. This? It was actually, I did that, and it was oh, actually uh, Jerry's alma mater, Queens College. So oh. I thought, I was at, I went to Queens College for uh, I went to degree. Lehman. Oh, I yeah. Went to Lehman. That's uh, it was a master's degree in library science, so basically, uh, like, yeah, yeah, okay. Information science and so whatnot. So funny, we and, got uh, a lot in common, Tony. I almost, I almost was, uh, I got out of gym with one of my scams, or my Larry David scams when I was a young man. I told him I didn't feel well. I, I didn't want to change clothes early in the morning and be sweaty all day. So I said I didn't feel well, and I got out of gym. So they didn't know what to do with me. They put me in the library with the old ladies. Well, when the old lady saw a young guy library, they said, you know, you could major in this. You could get a degree in librarian science. Right. And I was such a poor student when I heard that I could get out of college. Wow, with a degree. I was ready to do it. Interesting. So we see where... Yeah, well, you know, what's funny is Kramer makes a joke in one of the episodes about the Dewey Decimal System, system yes. and uh, Dewey being the yes. biggest scam or whatever. And, uh, you know, that guy was a bit of a, uh, he was the first basically Me Too guy there ever was. He started library schools and had them be all girls schools. And he was the only guy. He was like the head of the school, the president, the, the only oh, teacher. And all, that's why librarians are all that. women for so long because he was like, yeah, I'm just going to make them all women. And he would just hit on all of them and, you know, go have his reign. Wow. Yeah, that was his thing. Yeah, Dewey was a real slime ball. <laughs> Kramer was right, man. Dewey. <laughs> Kramer was always right. And that's that's the beauty. <laughs> I, I think the best thing with Kramer was the one with the you know, the bet that they all have with each other. And the girl across the street the window and how it yeah. ends, you know. <laughs> that's Kramer. And well, or that <clears throat> he comes back in and slaps the money on the counter. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> Hi, I'm your first episode, I believe, right. was the masseuse, right? With uh, the Joel Rifkin jokes. Um, yes, it was, it was 
What do you right. recall about that? Peter Melman wrote people it. People ask me, what did you say? Well, well, first I got to know Peter Melman. It was great. He used me in uh, his movie he didn't mention. He made an independent film a couple of years ago called Blank. And uh, there's a reason you don't know about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but everybody's everybody's trying. But you see, I'm just an actor. I don't I don't try to do anything creative at all, except say funny lines. And that's what I know how to do. Um, the girl, what's her name? Uh, the masseuse went on to become a Coolidge. Uh, yes. Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge. This must have been her last part, uh, playing somewhat pretty girl, not funny. And then she moved over to found the funny and got a whole new career. Yeah, the Christopher Guest right? movies and everything, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you, your weight could go, you know, if it's comedy, you can get a little bigger. But it's hard for women, you know. <laughs> He's laughing. Well, Dewey understood. Dewey Desmond, he understood. <laughs> and he'd call them by that. He'd say, 3, 3.1, come here. I'll meet you in the back. No, I don't know. I remember reading Sammy Davis's autobiography at junior high school in my cutting gym in the library class. Well, it was great. Yeah, I could have majored in that too, but write a paper. Hey, I listen, I went to Lehman College, so I'm not making fun of Queens College. But <laughs> the, both of us should have gone to Bronx Community College, and I think that would have been a... <laughs> ah, Lehman's a hell of a school. So I... Yes. So that was so the masseuse was kind of a you know you had uh Jennifer Coolidge, Lisa Edelstein. I mean, your oh, friend that's the first time I saw Edelstein. First time I met uh, oh, my friend and the other Lisa, uh, Edelstein. Uh, I knew instantly you, you looked and you go, Wow, this is a type, she's attractive, but she's got all the hair and she's ethnic and she's gonna do well. So, who walks up to her? Jerry Seinfeld's manager. George Shapiro, who, who's kind of a little guy who talks like that. They don't make millions because they're good looking. You know, they just, they know how to put a shiv in somebody's back or something, you know. <laughs> and he goes, he, he just woke up to her and he just go, uh, yeah, you're great. You're great. You're going to be great. You're going to be a big star. You're be great. <laughs> he called her everything except a client. And he walked away. And she looked at me and she says, who the hell is he? I said, he cuts locks in the back. Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> so we had we had that she she was great a lot of fun to be with Peter Melman a very funny man now he could be listening in I gotta watch face Peter you know I love you wherever you are but um, yeah Peter doesn't like that the world doesn't owe him enough props for yada 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 <laughs> that is a damn honest just the most honest thing you hear on this podcast. I saw him at a party once just sounding off. He goes, yeah, it was on the front page of the New York Post the other day, something with the Mets and the Mets, yada, yada, yada. I wrote yada, yada, yada. I said, no, no. You've done all right with it. You did good. <laughs> he wants everyone to know that it's him. Yeah. Well, hey, just just like you, you, you walk, you're walking around Western New York and everybody's coming up to you uh, talking Seinfeld, right? Oh, that's tremendous. It's just great. Well, uh, my wife bought the biggest house in town. Very nice for a retired uh, actor. Up on the top of the hill, they say we have gables, you know, and uh, porticos, you know, instead of porches. It looks like the White House. And I'm out there when the weather's nice, which is not now. 
And I'm out there and people are hawking when they go by. And they go, he's on Seinfeld. He was just always. And then there's one guy in town who runs a furniture shop. And he keeps his phone queued up to the scene from uh, Rifkin. And Joe Rifkin, the first episode, and he just goes, he was on Seinfeld. And he whips the thing out. The fact that it's 25 to 30 years ago doesn't seem to dissuade this guy from doing that with people who don't know what he's doing. It's a small thing. It's a phone. I don't look exactly like what I did 25 or 30 years ago. They have no idea. It doesn't matter. He wants to be known as the friend of the guy who was on Seinfeld. So, yes, it sounds. This would be footnotes in your uh, paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the second the, the second episode, the uh, the fire with uh, oh. Ann Cox as Toby. Uh, you yes. know, we talked to her. She's a lot of fun. Great actress. What, yeah, Great what do you recall about that episode where you, uh, you know, you guys had a lot of fun, it seemed like, in that episode with Elaine and, uh, you know, Toby running around with a toe off and everything else? Well, the, the what I, is the beautifully done when um, everything is all set in a toe or as Kramer said, the little guy is back in place at the end of the line. Yeah, yeah. When we when they come into the office, following her in, and Elaine is there standing up behind her desk, and they purposely put a lot of files and things on her desk because we know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know yet. She, uh, everybody comes in to start just quelling over this. Uh, Girl, Toe, are you all right? And I said, Toby, is there anything we can do for you? We're friends. <laughs> what is that we can do? You know. And by the way, Lisa, in that it says jabber, you know, in the script. So people start talking, but in between the jabber, I actually had a line. The line was, "We're friends. What can I do for you?" And uh, I had to really suck it in. You know, show business is a tough business. I suck it in. I said, director, excuse me, I, I have a line here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, let him say his line. Let him say his line. So, you know, those lines are a little spare, you know, for me and Seinfeld. I got to get them all in. So right. anyway, the joke, when they all piled in the office, there was a heavy set gal yes. who just shows up and pushes Elaine over the files. And Elaine lets a great fall, and the files fall on top of her. That was hilarious to see done a few times <laughs> yeah those that was, there's something about pendant publishing those office scenes that just i don't know they're timeless what uh did you know that well, you, i think he well he richard fancy was great great actor my wife fantastic she was an actress yeah, in New York. Great. and you know it just hey it's just i thought what do you guys think about i saw an old episode one of the beginning ones what was his name uh phil leeds who was the father the first uh before barney martin they had a different father, Jerry. Had right. A father. Yeah, and, and same with the... Uh, Leeds, I think. His name. Yep. And same with the Costanzas. I mean, so at right. least... So there, was a, there, there was a precedent for everything. And when you're an actor, you learn this. Whenever they tell you, I can't have you on, I had you on last year. Bullshit. Okay? He's the creator of this show. He's the executive producer of the show. If he wants you on every day, talking to his mother. <laughs> just shows a hit. It's Thursday night. It's a big friggin' hit. Okay? If he wants it again, I, I called, I did Curb also. The baptism for those keeping score. And um, and I called yeah, him up about two. a year later. I said, 
you're always fighting with uh, Jewish people. And there he says, how about another uh, shot in the merry-go-round? He goes, I used you. I used you last year. No, good. that's not a good answer from an executive producer. Nope. So then he did a play on Broadway a couple of years ago. Yeah, I saw it. So I went to my personal Rolodex, found his home number. I got numbers you wouldn't believe. And I said, yeah, listen, that's, uh, you know, I want to read from one of the, you know, I could read your line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I get down there and, you know, you turn around one day and they think, they think you're too, everything is too old. You're too old to be the doctor. Why? It's not even a sitcom. It's a stage play. I look like a doddering old man. I'm slim. I'm a nice, uh, nice looking guy. No. Anyway, Larry didn't like doing the theater. Did you read that? He didn't. Uh, he didn't like doing Broadway. He said, "I, I like the army too, but I wouldn't go back and do it again for two years." Hmm. That was his answer. So you said Melman, great as well. Larry Charles was fascinating. Fascinating. Right, he wrote the fire. Yeah. Yeah, he was like a professor of comedy to me. He he took me into his office and showed me all those little Samuel French plays that, you know, actors have. He had all the little vaudeville sketches and things. They published them. You could get not just who's on first, but anything. Flugel Street, any, any of those things from that era you could buy. And he just had a whole line up there over his desk of that. He, uh, he loved uh, that stuff, but he was great. He, he, he could see things. Uh, he really could see things. Good. Well, that thing about with the, the early episode where it's a dream sequence where Jerry, they come in with guns and Jerry gets shot in the back. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. What yep. episode? Is that the library? The cable. The cable library episode. <clears throat> it's the baby shower, but oh, it's the, the cable, cable episode. episode. Yeah. Jerry gets a right. legal cable. Yeah. yeah he gets well, Jerry gets way. shot. Yeah. Yeah, Larry was saying, well, Larry Charles was saying how, how odd that is for a sitcom. That odd, it's un unbelievably odd. And yet they were able to have that in. By that point, anything clever. Uh, the, the agreement with Larry and Jerry was they have to both agree to it. If Larry and Jerry say yes, it goes on. If one of them says, I don't like this guy, he doesn't know. It has to be the two of them. Believing in it completely. Looks like it worked. I think it worked pretty well. So, Hiram, season five, did you know you were going to be in three episodes or did they just bring in the first yeah. one? It went so well. As it goes, as it goes. Uh, well, first of all, it was great. It was like on my birthday when I got a gun. And then I said to my agent, a real do nothing agent, and I said, Hey, how did I, hey, how, how did you get me on uh, Seinfeld? She says, I made a few calls. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't do anything. You understand? Just, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> I made a few calls. It was great. Okay. Uh, that was on my birthday. And then um, just get another call. And that's why I say if it just started three years earlier, it would have been great. It would have just been, gee, every few weeks I'd be a pen and publishing. And uh, not a bad thing with the residuals and whatnot. And also, it's just everybody in the industry, the industry was watching by that point Thursday night. By season five, you said three and five, which I thought was interesting. I would have said four and five. It just, it was growing. It was growing. Yeah, It just sure. really was. There's some episodes I can't even look at from uh, the beginning early on. But they really had to find its way. But thank God they let it, they let it find its way. 
that uh, I always think of that waitress who was in the first one and then yeah. never seen again. And I thought, well, that's like a Pete Fest story, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like she could, well, she sits around and says, yeah, well, I was in the first Seinfeld. People go, go away. You know? <laughs> right. Hire him. I know most of your scenes were with Julia, you know, I pendant over there, but uh, curious what your interactions were like. With they the were other, all with the Julia. Other cast. Yeah. Met. Did you have any other interactions, though, with, with Michael Richards or, or, or Jason Alexander as far as uh, yes, you know, maybe yes. not so on Jason set? and I, uh, yes, Jason uh, is an actor, real actor, and I was a real actor, and I remembered uh, auditioning for a TV show that didn't go it was on for a couple weeks years ago called Joe Bash. You hear that? It was a cop show written by Danny Arnold, who did Tony, uh, not Tony, uh, Miller, uh, uh, Captain Miller. You know, all right, yeah. whatever. Come on, help me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Miller, yeah. He, he didn't do a paper on the Barney Miller. Thank you. And uh, so I said to Jason, Jason, I, I auditioned for a thing. It was called Joe Bash. I remember you were across the room. He was easy to remember because he was short, fat, and bald, which is not what you see a lot, you know, in New <laughs> York. And uh, he said, was I nice to you at the audition? I said, yeah, nice enough. He goes, good, I was just putting you on. I just do that to throw people off. <laughs> That's what he just said. I don't know, it sounds funny. And he said he's a very nice guy, a very funny guy. And uh, the only one who was not open was Kramer, was uh, Michael Richards. So I'm feeling like, oh, it's after I'm on there a couple of times. I'm not going to not say hello to Michael Richards. I think what he created was phenomenal. And, you know, I just have to say hello. And I just said to him, um, hey, Michael, can I get a royal raccoon hello? Woo! <laughs> like that. And he did. He went, woo! He gave it back to me, and that was it. And he walked away. And that wow. was all we said. Uh, that was always said. She she was very nice, uh, a wonderful actress. Her husband, Brad Hall, directed his first directing job was for the TV show Brooklyn Bridge that the late great Gary David Goldberg created. And they gave me a part. I a lot of parts for me are guys. It's 1956 or it's 1961. The way I talk, the way I dress, the way I smoke, the way I drink, it doesn't look like a guy putting it on. It looks like it's real, you know. Right. So if they suck my hair a little, I get the part. So um, she just said, right before I walked in the door, just we we run through it once. She said, Did "You play the comedian." In uh, Brooklyn Bridge, oh, you were very good. And Jerry was sitting on the edge of the desk. He wants to see everything. He said, I'm his own friend. He wants to see how I'm going to walk in. I'm going to make a fool of myself or something. So it was great. We, we, had a great. we had a nice laugh. It was a nice moment. Jerry looked at me and we started to laugh. When we started in comedy around 1978, he said to me, what are your goals? Because he was goal-oriented. And I wasn't. Mine was to get girls and, you know, and tell jokes, you know, in that order. <laughs> and he, he said to me, um, what do you have in mind? And I said, 
All I want is sitcoms. I want to walk through a door, do a take, and walk out. That's my goal in life. And when he sat at the end of the desk and he saw me waiting to walk through the door, it connected that we had had that conversation years earlier. And it was a big laugh between us, sort of a private laugh. Wow. Yeah, and you had one of those. You had one of those quick takes in the final episode, the opposite when uh, Siobhan Fallon walked in right into the office, and she kind of she kind of yeah. blew you off. If you remember that that scene. Oh yes. Well, oh, listen, that's where I got cut. That's uh, yeah. That's how yeah, I was wondering because it, it was kind of like am I there? Yeah, am I there? <laughs> and it's great as I I picked up a coffee cup. I yeah, had a coffee cup in my hand, and I was. I had some hard shoes on when I walked out of the scene. I, you know, you couldn't cut that out. And and she's a great ad libber too. So she just, we just walked by and just went, "Hi." She went, "Plays." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Very so now we couldn't cut it out. So that was another one. Yeah, but right before that would have been about the uh, peanut butter cups. Oh man, that's a very good eye. You're right. This doesn't make any sense. Why am I? <laughs> Just that. <laughs> I was yeah. Happy to be there. So, I wear hard shoes. Hard I shoes. Hard shoes. I said, I, I'll write a book how to get in sitcoms now, not to lose the job. Wear hard and higher up, do, do you have a history of, of Saturday Live as well? Not a big history. No, that was that goes back. That's the beginning of my resume. That was kind of like I call it an extra. An extra part. Then Bill Murray was coming back for the first time to be a host, and they they came up with a sketch idea. Ivan Bosky, remember that name? Yeah, white collar criminal. So that he was going to perform, do that singer character that Murray does, performing at a white collar jail, and Paul Schaefer was still doing the, the piano, and. Uh, I was just sitting there with the other white guys. <laughs> so the, uh, just hopping back to Seinfeld, it's just it's incredible the dynamic. That, I mean, the relationship you have with both Jerry, Jerry Larry and Jerry. Um, were Together they? they're Jerry. What's that? Together they're Jerry. Together they're Jerry, yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny, obviously they approached Jerry similar to season four in the you know, uh, show of Seinfeld. Show within show. Just show But I'm just curious, did you did you see them a lot together? Were they as tight as we thought Jerry and George were on the show? Or was just Larry the right no, guy? No, no, after hours, after hours. After they each did this set that cut the rising star, and we're all at the bar drinking, some are looking for girls, some, some are talking comedy. Everyone's talking comedy. I mean, that's how I got to know Gilbert Gottfried. I couldn't believe what he sounded like off stage. He's just a connoisseur of comedy and he's talking about Abbott Costello and we're analyzing how who's on first is done. You would never know he's this crazy man, you know. Of course he got married and his kids, so it just goes to show you, you know, there'll be a law. <laughs> but then they would go out to the green kitchen. You must have heard comics talk about the diner across the street from mm -hmm. Yep. Catch a rising star. And that's where it first was broached. It wasn't really at the bar. It was just Jerry just said, I got an NBC talk to me about they want me to put something together. 
and I don't know what to do. I don't know what he goes, ah, let's take a walk. And they walk to the other corner where it was a Korean grocery. All that stuff is true. And they made fun of all the little items that were near the register. You know, no name, Fig Newtons, you know, five Fig Newtons in a saran wrap thing. <laughs> you know, who would buy that? And, and, and Larry did say, this is what the show should be about. Just comics yeah. talking. Mm-hmm. Now, initially, they, they didn't trick NBC, but they pushed it a little bit away from where it really was to go, which was that opening monologue thing was going to be on a subject, set subject. And then the rest of the episode was going to be based on what those jokes were in the beginning. Right. And then as soon as they can get away from that, they did. Right. Now, I know you also, uh, I believe, speaking of uh, Seinfeld, the Lom and and comedians, uh, what was the relationship with Carol Liefer? Weren't you in in something? Well, I didn't go to bed with her, which separates Hey, yo, we're not. uh, You can let us know whatever you want. I just was asking. (laughs) I figured you worked there a couple of times, right? No, we we did a noon show at Seton Hall University. A noon you know wow. how bad that is? Yeah, that's to a go to the crowd. Port Authority and get on a bus and ask, how do I get to Seton Hall, New Jersey? <laughs> All right. So take this bus and get off and we walk in the cafeteria. And then all you have is three Chinese is this the, kids. The doing 80s? The homework. Is this around the 80s? No, this would be 79. Okay. Three Chinese kids doing their homework <laughs> you know, at, a, at a lunch table. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell gig, huh? No, no. My daughter would say I was being racist. You want to talk about woke? I got a 27 year old daughter. I can't say anything anymore. I just saw a tape yesterday of Bill Dana, you know, Jose Menes at the height <laughs> of his fame. It was hilarious. Steve Allen is that they're screaming. And the guy, his whole career is gone. <laughs> it's like Vaughn Meter. You know, one day it just ends. But what did Lenny Bruce say? They had a big two two graves, one for the president, one for foreign media. Was this are these references before your time? Thank you. I think uh, Chris, Chris. No, Lenny hey, Bruce, Chris. of course. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just wait, wait. So, so, it's so speak, so what, Hiram, what you open with at uh, Seton Hall, 1979? Hello? Hello? Like, <laughs> uh, you do a lot of that. <laughs> and uh, I was always like Milton Burrow, you know, I was always like, my job is to make these people laugh. I don't care what jokes they say, if they're dirty, if they're stolen, if they're old, I'm saying anything to get a laugh. There wasn't much, it, it was just a, a, oh, I don't know what we got. We probably each got $50 to get on a bus and go to New Jersey in 1979. But we didn't work during the day. So that was work. That's what you worked for the day. You made $50 that day. And what did you uh, what did you see in Leifer? Did you see like I mean, obviously you saw something special, Jerry and I did not see the ambition the ambition that Carol had. She truly uh, gets a hold of something. She doesn't much go. You know, she had a show on one of those uh, little channels, the one with the frog, or what was those little channels? WB. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I had a, a friend who was a writer in the room. He was pushing for me to guest star on it because she was running an optician store in Miami Beach. Hello. You know, and someone yeah. said, well, what about Hiram as the competition across the street? 
เชื่อเออเออเออเออ I'll think about that <laughs> no. I know you were, <laughs> I know you also worked a lot with um, Ray Romano, another uh, another yes, comic. Yes, he's a good best yeah. guy in show business. I'd yeah. say he's. Have you heard that from people? Because he is. He is. I put him on. I had a show at Dangerfields on Sunday night in Manhattan, and I knew him from the clubs. But he was uh, he was working hard. He was putting his stuff together. You know, he was living in his mother's till twenty nine. You know, so and this is not these days when you see that happening more and more. This was we were all out having a good time. Rent wasn't that expensive back then. He stayed at his mother's in the laundry room. Okay, he got a job at the bank in Queens. He married the girl next to him, the teller next to him. She ends up as the winner. <laughs> she she wins the the millions and millions of dollars. He's the sweetest. He's a wonderful guy. He's he was just great, you know. So was that? How did I get on that? How did I get on that show? I actually read for that show, and it was um the uh, cruise director when he takes his mother on the cruise. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good episode because it was like the way television was when I was growing up, which was the guest star was either Phil Silvers or Don Rickles or you know Larry Storch. Or, The guest star is there, and he continually shows up through the half hour. A lot of callbacks. Right and now, they're so cheap to go. Oh, if we just use them for one day, we'll get the original joke, and then he's out. You know. But instead, they weren't like that. Phil Rosenthal wasn't like that. They wanted the funniest again. Here's guys who wanted a funny show. If you really just want funny, yeah, uh, those are the people you you want to work for, and. Um, Uh, I came in and I just—they uh, gave you a tag to wear because you, I had to park the car across from Forest Lawn, up a hill from Warner Brothers, and it was a very rare rainy day in LA. And I got out. Well, I'm all fixed up for my audition. And I come in the rain, so they open the door. They go Hiram Caster. That's what they do at the audition. And I just go, "Thank you for the parking pass in Van Nuys." Wear hard shoes. Open with a laugh. It's number two. Open with a laugh. And um, but as well as well as a new way. And Steve Scroven who wrote it, wonderful guy. Seinfeld guy. Well. He, he that's a he that's right. He's one of the guys too. That's right. Now they call, but the Raymond crowd called that the job no one ever leaves. Mm. Writing for Raymond. Was the one that's eleven years, or the one nobody ever leaves. Hmm. That's, that's what they tell me. So yeah, so say, so for you, must, <clears throat> for you, you mentioned like Lisa Edelstein, Coolidge. Like you must have, you must have yeah. been the guy that right. You were pretty comfortable because you knew Larry and Jerry. Were you kind of walking around, kind of hobnobbing? Yes, well, well, I'll tell you that, that that's funny that you say that because there's a. What what they call PA production system. The, the first kid you see when you come in and you sign the book that you're here. Uh, the first one was a Sheldon Leonard grandson. So you know you're really connected. If you got that job, you're a kid and you got that job. You know somebody. And his personality was lacking, and uh, uh, it just said something. My internet thing is 
going bluey. Can you see me all right? Yeah, it's choppy a little bit. We'll, we'll pull through. A little choppy. Yeah, all right. I'm going to go on. All right. That's right. So uh, <laughs> this guy was real, thought he was a real important guy, his production assistant at Seinfeld. Seinfeld's a biggish production assistant. It's a little attitude, just the way he talks to me. A few minutes later, Seinfeld comes walking out, and he sees me, and he sits down next to me <laughs> in the audience, just the bullshit, you know. Well, that kid almost had a stroke when he saw that uh, Seinfeld's friend. Then he could try to be nice to me. It's too late, too late to make up. <laughs> but, um, the uh, the one with the um, the tickets for the giant game, the, the same one with um, yeah Rifkin, the first one with Joe Rifkin, Joe Rifkin, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, Kramer goes to get the tickets. That guy was funny too. The guy who wouldn't give him the tickets and had the funny hair. Yeah, he was guy, great. I'm not tomorrow. I'm not doing anything tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did very well with that. <laughs> yeah, we froze. We froze a little bit higher in here. Yeah, I understand. Well, I'm up near Buffalo. You know, I'm freezing too. Well, let me tell you, uh, I, we're doing very, we're doing very well. This is our winter home. <laughs> yeah. Winter home in Buffalo. And it takes him a little. He's a little slow. He writes the good papers. The doctor, it's a little, a little slow on the uptake. Okay, good. That's on me. So I remember. Yes. Before we let you go, you said you're a big Yankee fan. Who's your Who's your all time favorite Yankee? I'm assuming you were late sixties, early seventies. Well, well, it was Mickey Mantle, of course. I was old enough to. Now people go, "Did you go to the old stadium?" I go, "You mean the old old stadium?" I when I first went to Yankee Stadium, the monuments were on the field. Yeah. The field and Mantle right. was there too. And I just sat in the ble bleachers. And they all feel fair territory. Nobody believes that today. And uh, I just saw a big man with a seven on his back. And there was an idol with And then, as I got older, there was Jeter, who's truly a hero to me. I mean, I'm one of those people that after Jeter retired, I don't think I watched the Yankee game for two years. It was like, uh, well, he, he just... How do you explain that tossing the ball near home plate? He's a shortstop, but he's backing up the catchers. How do you explain that? It's cosmic. He just was, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. Hell of a play. Well, Hiram, this was uh, this was a blast, man. We uh, we appreciate all the stories. We're glad you're a Yankee fan, and um, Hoping, uh, hoping you stay warm in your winter home up there in uh, Western winter New York. I got that from Milton Brown. He says, Buffalo, Buffalo, remember, say this, winter home. It's a winter. They grab your wrist, these old guys. They grab your wrist. They get it? Winter home. Winter home in Buffalo. Yes, Milton, I hear you. Winter <laughs> home in Buffalo. Okay. And, uh, but uh, the Bronx will always be in my heart. That's the Spaldings and the stickball and all that. All that stuff, and I could walk to Yankee Stadium from where I grew up. So that can't be that. Wow! No, that that was pretty special. Yeah. 
Wow. And listen, the other thing is the sitcoms what we're talking about now. I'm very happy that I got Seinfeld, but it, it, um, it was all I ever wanted in life was to be on television and to do this kind of work. So I'm very, very, I feel very blessed. Incredible career. Just that it just happened, that it's there. Yeah, I grew right. up under an, under an elevated train. You know, one of, my father was a butcher. There was no show business in the family. <laughs> so it was good. Funny's funny and relationships uh, matter. So you make sure you tell Jerry about us, all right? Well, I didn't know you'd want it. You know, with him, it's a wild card. Jerry's a wild card. It could be who told him they could do a show? What's going on? Yeah, all good. And just remember, he doesn't like fat people. He doesn't like fat people. If you're going to him, <laughs> drop a few pounds. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Listen, I, I, by the way, he takes you out to lunch, and there's no pretending, oh, it's my turn. But you make that move like you go into your pocket. Right. Jerry just looks at you like that. Don't even, don't even try it. Right. Don't even try it. And the last time we went out for breakfast somewhere, the uh, check came to $55. He just put 100 down the plate. 100 Because the waiter didn't bother. That's the key. More important than the shoes. If you're a waiter and you're waiting on Jerry, just give him a nod, bring him what he wants, nod again, back away, and you're getting 100% tip. There you go. That's good advice right there. My, that's, <laughs> I, I, I'm loading it. Well, it was my pleasure doing this too, fellas. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you, waiting this was, out how to, how to do it. so much computer. fun. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Hiram. Thank you. You have a great night. Okay, you too. And our best to your wife. Oh, yeah, well, without her, you know, still, <laughs> still be trying to figure it out. I use right. an abacus to do my checkbook. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Harry. Thank you. <clears throat>